welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. What's your name? Daniel Henderson. My name's Ricardo. Ah, well, so long. So long. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I'm not nearly as angry as these men. And you never will be. Well, it depends on uh, how, how big of an argument we can get into. Depends on which juror we're talking about, because I'm actually not convinced there are 12 angry men in this film. No, there, there is uh, at least a couple of uh, very complacent men. Mm. But we need to go by what the title says. And today we are breaking down 12 angry men. Dean, how you been, mate? Terrible. We're living in a, a society where we can't leave our houses. We have curfews. This is, uh, this is something else, Hendo. It is. It is. It has been um, a bit of a bit of a shit year, I must say. Twenty twenty, like uh, it's a bad year. Now we obviously took a week off last week because uh, my father did pass away. It it was unexpected. It's uh, it's still a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else I can really say. I'm, I'm still trying to process it. Uh, but I have got a lot of support from the community on our Twitter, our Facebook, and everything from family and friends, everyone. So it's uh, it's really helped me out. And even just being back to record an episode with you in particular, Dean, and have a good laugh here really is, uh, I'm sure it's going to take my mind off of it for a couple of hours. Like my go-to was to make a joke and it's not appropriate. But yeah, it's I'm very, obviously very sorry for your loss and I'm glad that this can bring you some happiness again, Hendo. Yeah, just uh, go a little bit easier on me this week, which I'll oh, fuck off. <laughs> Nah, you, you can do whatever you want. No holds bars. I'm all for it. All right. What else are we doing today, Hendo? Well, after the breakdown, we're going to take a look at the reviews that you listeners have given to us. We'll take a look at our question of the week, which is what is your favorite film set predominantly in one single location? Yeah, bit of an interesting top five, I reckon. I feel like this could be one of those ones where we go, we go five for five again. Just, I'm just throwing it out there. I look at my list and I'm like, this, this looks like a Dean list too. <laughs> So you actually had a good list this week. Ooh, good on you. I mean, it can't be any worse than last your last list, Hendo. Hey, I stick by it, all right? Shut your mouth. I'm surprised you remember it. Are you kidding? I had multiple people messaging me about it. Multiple? Did you accidentally message yourself? <laughs> What's this accidentally business? <laughs> uh, we'll take a look at our competition, see who's going to win this week's competition. Why do I word it like that? Because you're an idiot. Uh, then we'll look at our Tournament of Champions. We're into the the, the seeded finals now. We've got five tippers left in our competition, including myself. We'll see who's going to be taking the lead after the first round here. And then after all that, it is your turn to pick the next film, Dean. Anything in mind? Have you nailed it already? i got to be honest. Normally, I 100% know what I'm going to pick. Sometimes it's down to a couple. I haven't even looked, so... I don't even know what I'm feeling. Like, do I want to do I want to do something that I've watched before, something I love, or I think we've already discussed we need to stop doing so many movies that we love so much and start doing some weird ones. So, yeah, but didn't we say now that we're doing the random one, like we can sort of not have to do that because ah, oh, they're always going to have this random shitty one. It could be a shitty one. Who knows? Yeah, but that's the problem. Like one out of three is going to be random, but a lot more than a third of the movies left are not, you know, bad movies. All right, well, I'm very, very curious and a little bit excited as to what you're going to pick later on. But before all of that... Give me the update. All right, Hendo, what's going on on the IMDb Top 250? I feel like it's been a while since we've looked at it. 
It has been a while. Not a whole lot has changed, though. That's why we haven't really spoken about it in a while. I just wanted to bring up uh, last time we spoke about Hamilton. It has dropped down six spots now. It's sitting at 31. That's pretty good still. Yeah, it's been... It's got to be at least... Oh, what did we say? We saw we spoke about Hamilton uh, three weeks ago now, I'm pretty sure. Four? Maybe four. So six spots in about a month. That's, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. There's a film called Come and See which is it's quite an old film but it just got a criterion release recently and it's it's uh it's the talk of the town at the moment through film twitter and everywhere else it's a film i've seen it's incredibly powerful it bumped up four more spots purely based off this criterion release i'm pretty sure it's up to 119 now i could see it going up even further now that people are actually getting a chance to see it i tell you, i'm pretty sure you haven't seen it am i right i what's it about it's uh it's a very it's a very powerful war holocaust film I haven't seen it. And we're looking at Anand. This this is the film that seems to be dropping the most every single time. It has now dropped another eight spots down to 130. I'm pretty sure when it got into the list, it was sitting at number 60. And that wasn't too long ago. Mm. Has Bill and Ted Face of Music entered the top 250 yet? Why, why would you say that film? Out of all, all the films you've watched recently, why would you pick that film? Well, I mean, that's, that good? that's the big new release, isn't it? No, Tenet is. Oh, yeah, I forgot Tenet was out. Is that actually, in all fairness, is that in the top 250? That hasn't that hasn't got enough votes yet. It's just it come out. It doesn't have enough votes? Hamilton gets enough votes and Tenet doesn't? Hamilton got into the list after being out on Disney Plus for months. Yeah, but it's not everyone's cup of tea. A stage show. I feel like, Do you, you know, you put the name Nolan to it, it would have been on there that day. Do you want to see how many, do you want to see the, the rating it is so far? Yeah. Well, well, well. I will eat my words here. It has <laughs> 40,000. <000. laughs> oh, shocking. You know why? It's because we're in bloody lockdown here and we are probably going to be the last people in the world to get to see it. So I haven't been think- I have been avoiding everything about this film. So Really? Yeah. I know everything about it. You have no idea. 40,000 ratings it's got yeah. so far. Okay. What's it, what's its rated? 8.0. Ooh. Ooh. I better what? lower my expectations, Hendo. <laughs> you got to lower it from a 15 to an 8 now. I was expecting the next Hamilton, but uh, clearly I should what? be lowering my, my sights. Why weren't you expecting the next Inception? Uh, because Get of Hamilton off your brain. What was Nolan's last film? That's why. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Dunkirk is awesome, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure. All right, before we get into 12 Angry Men... Just a quick heads up, we will be spoiling it from the jump, so if you haven't seen it, you've been warned. And with that being said, let's get into 12 Angry Men. You are going to try a man for murder. The awesome power to kill will suddenly be thrust into your hands. Watch them and pray, for someday you may become one of them. 12 men with the smell of violent death in their nostrils. What's the matter with you guys? You're letting them slip through our fingers. Slip through our fingers? Are you his executioner? You cut it. Ever since you walked into this room, you've been acting like a self-appointed public avenger. Shut up. You're a sadist. Twelve men turned into twelve clawing animals. Kill him, Mark. Kill him. So, 12 Angry Men, released in 1957, about a jury holdout who attempts to prevent a miscarriage of justice by forcing his colleagues to reconsider the evidence. That is a weird-ass plot summary from IMDb. Why? Is Why that inaccurate? It's a weird way of saying it. Why not just say a group of 12 men argue about deciding the fate of a young boy who's guilty or not guilty? A so young boy? 
prevent a miscarriage of justice. Like, what? I'm not sure he's a young boy. Uh, he definitely looks like a young boy when you see him very briefly. I mean, if I said to you, how old is a boy, what would you say? 14, 15. A boy? Maybe you're a boy at 14 or 15, Endo. <laughs> <laughs> Me, I was a man. I was a man, baby. <laughs> no, come on. A boy would be like 5 to 12 years old. Well, he looks like a young lad, all right? I mean, he's 18 in this. He doesn't look like it. That image, that quick image you see of him sitting there staring, he looks like he's 15. I disagree. Won't be the first time today. A miscarriage of justice. So that, I mean, that in itself is saying, is telling the audience that IMDB at least think that he 100% is innocent. I mean, do you think he's innocent? Let's just get to it right now. Are you the 13th angry man? Are you the one they still have to convince after all the evidence and everyone changing their mind? At the no, end, you're like, no, ah, I'm no, still not convinced. No, because you're missing the point. The point is not that they're Maybe you're saying, out of order. <laughs> this whole courtroom's out of order. <laughs> the point isn't that he did or he didn't do it. It's whether or not there's reasonable doubt. So I'm not saying what I think yet. I'm just saying IMDB is implying that had you know Henry Fonda not had not have done what he was doing, that there would have been a miscarriage of justice, which maybe there wouldn't be. Would it be? Here's a question: Would it be a miscarriage of justice if they found him guilty and he was guilty, even though they really didn't have enough grounds and there was reasonable doubt? What? I don't know. What what you're proving here is that this plot summary is bizarre. Mm, I quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> Good conversation. We've barely got out the first sentence here. I would say it sparked a debate, but you were very quiet. Yeah, I'm just waiting to get to the people who are in the film. All right. Who's in All it? All right. Well, I'm just going to go through the 12 people starting from one, juror one to juror 12 here. Martin Balsam, John Fiedler, Lee J. Cobb, E.J. Marshall, Jack Klugman, Edward Isn't it Binns. E.G. Marshall? What'd I say? E.J. Marshall. It's not E.J. Oh, Whitman, meant, Hendo. I, I definitely meant G. Uh, you fuck me up. Where am I? Jack Warden, Henry Fonda, Joseph Sweeney, Ed Bagley, George Voskovec, and Robert Weber. Directed by Sidney Lumet. Do you reckon Ed Begley is related to Ed Begley Jr.? <sighs> I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even dignifying it. Is that because you don't know who Ed Begley Jr. is? If he was related to Ed, ba- Ed Begley Jr., wouldn't he be Begley? Ed Begley Sr.? Did you Sen- say Begley? It's Begley. Wouldn't he be Ed Begley Sr.? I mean, if I had a kid and named him Dean Jeffrey Jr., would not... <laughs> Would my name immediately be Dean Jeffrey Senior? Yes, you would want to call yourself Dean Jeffrey Senior. These people who are like Ed Begley Junior is his legal name Junior, or is that just something that people put on there? I, I don't know. I have no knowledge or experience with adding a Junior. I mean, I'm surprised you said that because I'm pretty confident that 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 Junior would not be on the you know birth certificate. What about John F. Kennedy Jr.? Yeah, you really know how to add to an argument, don't you, Hendo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't know what to say. Throw in a Seinfeld reference. That'll get him. <laughs> I mean, isn't, isn't that the go-to? <laughs> All right, you got any more quips about any of the other 11 jurors? Uh, Martin Balsam. Do you know who that is? Juror number one. I believe he is the father-in-law to John Slattery. How on earth am I going to know that? Why am I supposed to know John Slattery's family lineage? 
Do you know who John Slattery is? He's not even blood-related. Yeah, he's the guy from Mad Men. Yeah. And isn't it true that there is, in fact, a madman in this film? Do you deny it? That's, that's how Do John you? Slattery got the part. <laughs> so, excuse me, you, you're you looking at Mad Men here. My father-in-law was the original angry man. <laughs> anyway, directed by Sidney Lumet. Have you heard of Sidney Lumet? Yes, from when we did the uh, greatest directorial debuts, I believe he came up. And is that it? I think I honestly get him and Sidney Poitier uh, confused. Sidney Lumet is a five-time nominated director. He obviously directed this. He directed Dog Day Afternoon. Of course. Network and The Verdict. Those were the four films he got nominated for. Did he say won five-time an- nominee? Yeah, he his, uh, his fifth one wasn't for director. It was for, uh, I think it might have been for writing for another film that we never heard of. I bet I've heard of it. I bet you haven't at all. But he did win an honorary award in 2005 for his work. Honorary, because he wasn't good enough the first time. Yeah, that's it. That's what they said at the Oscars. <laughs> Cinematography by Boris Kaufman, who has won one Academy Award for On the Waterfront. Do you reckon there are any babies out there named Boris? Yeah, in Russia. It's a Russian name. Okay. Do you reckon there are any Australian Borises? Sure. We just spoke about a Boris last time. Pretty sure he wasn't Australian. Definitely Russian. Let's ask Let's ask the crowd. If you're an Australian and your name is Boris, first off, we're sorry. Second, wow. get, get in contact with us. I'll settle for any listener who isn't Russian if your name is Boris. So 12 Angry Men was initially produced for television and was broadcast live on September 1954. Like a live stage that, show? I believe so. Was there singing? Yes or no? No. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I pray the next episode you we get through without a Hamilton anything. How many episodes do you reckon it will take? <laughs> you'll make it. You'll make it your mission now to to do it for every episode. I, I can't wait. I can't wait till you miss it because I'll be onto it straight away. Well, I'm willing to wait for it. Oh, okay, that was good. <laughs> so that footage, that film that they did, it had been missing for years. They everyone thought it had been lost until it was discovered in 2003. It's always the last place you look. <laughs> I I have no info as to where they found it. So the last place to look. Yeah, 2003. That's when we found it. Yeah, sure. So the screenplay was done by Reginald Rose, who was one of the producers along with Henry Fonda. These two uh, produced this film. They recruited Sidney Lumet to join them, obviously first-time director. Sidney Lumet had the actors all stay in the same room for several hours on end and do their lines over and over without filming them. This was to give them a real taste of what it would be like to be cooped up in a room with the same people. Very method. I mean, is that your go-to answer? <laughs> Very method. I mean, have I said Maybe that before? They, when you have nothing else to say, you just say, Very method. Sometimes I go with, hmm. <laughs> Interesting. And because of the painstaking rehearsals for the film lasting about two weeks it took to do this, filming had to be completed in three weeks. 21 days they had to film this film. I mean, it's not like it's a big budget sci-fi, is it? They're sitting in a room. They have almost no set locations. They've got one, really. They've got the same 12 guys in every shot virtually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it can't be that hard. Many of the shots of the actors were filmed on their own and then edited together. This required the sound of the rain to be recorded separately for each actor. That's probably why. Also, because of the demands of the film's very low budget that they had for the time, if the lighting was set up for a shot that took place from one particular angle, then all the shots from that same angle had to be filmed then and there. This meant that different sides of the same conversation were sometimes shot several weeks apart. 
That would honestly be very difficult for the actors, I would imagine. This would have had to be storyboarded so perfect to do this right. Mm. This 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 feels like every shot that was sh- that was done had to be the shot they were doing, and they really planned out for three weeks. Right, this is what we're filming every single day. This is the angle that we're doing. With this is the 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 way everyone's going to be standing, the shots, and we need to make sure we're getting our continuity right because in the two weeks' time, we're coming back to turn it around on the other side and we're going to make sure that everyone's on the same positions, the same feelings. I, I think it would have been very, very tough. Hmm. Exactly. Go-to answer. Interesting. <laughs> method. Very method. <laughs> but this was released on the 10th of April in 1957 with a runtime of 96 minutes and a tagline of life in their hands, death is on their minds. I mean- it doesn't grab me. It's okay. It's okay. I like the play on life and death. Yeah, you're it's- easily pleased. Thank you. You're welcome. Budget of about three hundred fifty thousand dollars, which estimated was about is about roughly three million dollars by today's standards. No recorded box office. However, I did see that it failed to make a profit, so it wasn't a success at the time or in the future, for that matter. I saw that Henry Fonda and Reginald well, Johnson didn't make any <laughs> money from this. Come on, come on. <laughs> Because they deferred their their payments for what I would imagine is like a percentage of takings, but it didn't take anything. Yeah. It was the only producing credit for Fonda and Reginald Rose. Fonda later stated that he would never produce a film again. It had a lot to do with the financial disappointment of this film, but also the fact that he was acting and producing at the same time and he and he didn't really like the experience of it. So he's decided I'm not going to produce a film again. Hmm. In fact, according to his autobiography, Henry Fonda was disappointed with United Artists' distribution strategy and felt that the studio's approach had deprived the film of a chance at financial success. In particular, Fonda noted that UA placed it in theatres too large for a small film to fill and in addition, did not re-release it after it won numerous awards. And it says numerous awards here. He must have been talking about the Oscars. Because <laughs> this was nominated for three three Academy Awards. It didn't win any of them. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, which it lost to The Bridge on the River Kwai. It was nominated for Best Director for Sidney Lumet, which he lost to David Lean for The Bridge on the River Kwai. And it was nominated for Best Picture, which it lost to The Bridge on the River Kwai. Have you seen The Bridge on the River Kwai? I have, and it is very good. It is very good. Not as memorable as 12 Angry Men, though. Does it have a lot to do with the fact of how high it is in the top 250? Not really. Uh, I knew about this film before I knew about the IMDb top 250. I saw this at school, Hendo. I was going to say, this is a very uh, school-centric film. It is a you know a play that's been re- redone many times. It's uh, I think it's taught in a lot of literature uh, classes as well. Uh, guess what class I saw it in? Uh, the substitute teacher during your music class. No, that would be a cruel substitute teacher. Um, no, it'd be uh, legal studies. Okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense because of the legal stuff. Yes, thanks for uh, thanks for making my point. Which is interesting though, because legal people have come out and said that this should not be a true indication of how a jury should behave because of how much uh, juror number eight in particular does his own investigations yeah. outside the courtroom, which you are not allowed to do. I did go and do a little bit of research. I saw a, uh, a lawyer reacts kind of video where he he watches through it and he's like, yeah, that would never happen. That's that's wrong. You can't do that. Huh. I watch a few of yeah. those. I'm not sure if it's the same guy, but I watch a quite a number of a lawyer reacting to uh, le- legal stuff in TV and movies. They're very interesting. Uh, they are very interesting. Now, this wasn't a financial success, but let's take a look at the scores for 12 Ringer Men, considering it's been 
it's nearly 70 years now. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, widespread acclaim here. What do you think uh, has it higher, the critics or the audience for Rotten Tomatoes? 100% critics. Are you saying you're 100% sure it's critics? Yes. Okay, because I wasn't sure if you meant it's 100% for the critics because it is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for the Rotten Tomatoes critics. Yeah, that's what I meant. No, you didn't. I mean, I was right. 97% for the audience. So it actually, it's not a big blowout. It's pretty close. Metacritic, give it a 96. Letterboxd, give it a massive for Letterboxd, 4.5. Wow, that is massive. <laughs> yeah. But let's take a look at the history of 12 Angry Men in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted into the very first list on the 26th of April in 1996. Came into the list at number 48. And it spent several years moving up and down to where it kind of stopped at about number 27 in early 2000. And since then, over the next 20 years, it has just gently, gently gone up and up and up and up to where it sits now, where it has been for the last four years, at number five, with an 8.9 over 668,000 ratings. Very impressive. Yes, and as of this time of recording, it is the shortest movie in the IMDb Top 10, as well as the only one in the Top 10 to be under two hours in length, and it's the only one in the Top 30 to be under 100 minutes in length. City Lights. (laughs) You saw that trivia as well, did you? I'm glad that you actually go through the trivia, but don't record anything. You just glance at it and you're like, hey, I might remember that. I retain, like, you were never going to say that unless I said it. <laughs> I retain the important stuff, Endo, okay? If it's worth remembering, I'll remember it. All right, Dean, let's get into this film. So what do we get here? Like, basically, the the one of three scenes in this film, like locations, this very quick little part uh, in the courtroom itself. What do you think of this quick little scene? I mean, the exterior, I thought, was the very first shot was quite good. Uh, is there a color version of this? I, I don't know. Hmm. I feel like there would be, considering that they did uh, colorize "It's a Wonderful Life" back in the when it was, and that was released back in the forties. There may be, yeah, but "It's a Wonderful Life" is like much more popular than this film. Not according to IMDb. Uh, IMDb is not a popularity contest, Tendo. It, it is for us. For you, maybe. Hey, stop sullying the premise of our show. Okay. Did you see the number sixty was very prominent here? I saw that the courthouse was number 228, and I'm like, oh, maybe that means something. I don't think it does. Did you see the number 60, Hendo? I didn't see the number 60. Where was that? It was in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so you just wrote down, you wrote down 60, did you? Then I started thinking, if you times 60 by 2 and divide that by 10, you get 12. Coincidence? I think not. I'll move on. Uh, very symmetrical shot here. Uh, do you think say, maybe- thank, thank you very much, John Nash. Do you think maybe it's you know demonstrating the balance of justice? I mean, that's a very good interpretation of it. I didn't think of that. I uh, <laughs> that's really what you think. It's, you're really getting hard in this film quickly, aren't you? Don't worry, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Did you catch the quote that was at the top of this uh, courthouse here? Are you still on the very first shot? My notes are substantial for this film. What did it say? It says. The true administration of justice is the firmest pillar of good government. Now, can you guess who who said that? What quote this is from? No. Nah. It's from the man himself, George Washington. Oh, for fuck's sake, was it? Who did you he may say remember <laughs> in the film Hamilton. He didn't sing that part, did he? Uh, he could have. Who knows? So I do I do like the start of this film before they actually get into the room. 
it's it's basically lining out the film in its simple nature. You're going across 12 men. Some of them are looking at this kid. Some of them are doing their own thing. Like you see juror number three, he's oh, already looking at his watch. You, you've breezed so far ahead here. I mean, there are more shots inside the courthouse. I what are you doing? Like, because we start with like this really nervous man and we sort of follow this guy around for a few seconds and I'm like, is he one of the jurors? What's going on here? But then he he like sort of runs into this group who are really happy, like they've just won a case. And I just thought it is, is a good way of showing the many mixed emotions that you see inside a courthouse, Endo. What are you doing right now? What? What are you getting at here? Just doing a solid breakdown, Hendo. What are you doing? I just want, I just want to point out what you're doing here right now, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to this later on, okay? I honestly don't know what you're talking about. I don't think you do either. Getting back to an important part of the film, focusing on this jury right now, without getting to This movie to them, goes for under 100 minutes, Are you sa- and it's in the top 10. Are you saying there are unimportant moments in this film? I'm sorry, when we did all the other films we've done in the top 10 so far, did you go and break down every single second of, the, of, the, of those films? All of them that go for under 100 minutes, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get back to the jury then, shall we? Because you're I clearly like not how- interested in anything else. I like how you get a quick glance of all the jury members here, and even before you hear them speak, you already have some idea of several of them and how they're going to be reacting as soon as they start talking to each other. Like jury number three, Lee J. Cobb. He's already looking at his watch. You know immediately he has no interest in this case whatsoever. He's already he's already made his mind up. He's done. And you know that he's probably going to be one of these last people to convince. Hmm. In fairness, all but one have already made their mind up. There are several of them who are not who do not advocate such a strong guilty. There's a lot of them who are just like like even one of the guys who was like, yeah, I, I just I just think he's good. I don't know. I, I don't want to talk about it. I just think that. There's others who are like, they lay out all the facts that they've got. He is guilty because of this. He is guilty because of that. The other guys are, are sheepish about it. So I don't think they've completely made their minds up. I don't know how you can say that when they vote almost immediately when they get into the the room and all but one vote to kill this person. But do you? Him saying not guilty, is he making his mind up as well? By he, do you mean juror number eight? Yes. Well, has he made his mind up? I would say he has, that we will later learn. But when he does vote not guilty, he presents himself as not saying that he thinks he's not guilty, but merely saying, I think he deserves our time to discuss a few things. I think you could argue that no one's made up their mind because they all get persuaded. He's saying that no one can change their mind. You're saying that everyone's made up their mind but one person. I mean, if they'd made up their mind, they wouldn't have changed it. So you're saying that everyone who's made up their mind, it's impossible for them to change their mind. If you're saying they've made up their mind, that's what it is. It's not going to change. I say they're easily persuadable. They haven't made up their mind. I mean, I've watched this film. I would argue that they are not easily persuaded, Hendo. Some of them are the opposite of easily persuaded. They do take a little while, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) But But honestly, that's what I like about this film is that each person gets like changes their vote as the movie goes along and you know you know exactly how it's, you know that you're not going to get them all changing all their votes at the end it's not like henry fond is going to present all the facts for an hour and a half and then all of a sudden at the end everyone's going to be like yeah you're right i love it how it progresses through each person and they present all these little bits and pieces of evidence along the way where people slowly change their mind along the way and it's kind of like who's going to change their mind next who who's up who's up for it next and you can kind of tell which of the people are going to be the last ones left? Oh, for sure. There is a clear... 
It's funny. I would say there's a clear three who would you, you who you would say are the last three, yes. but one of them one of them actually isn't though. Jura number seven, I would have thought would be one of the last, but he he folds a bit earlier. But that is a testament to that guy's character as well. A testament like he, to his name. He, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> he doesn't have a strong opinion. He never says why he thinks he's guilty. He's more just, yeah, let's just hurry up, let's get this done. And as soon as the shift happens to not guilty, he's like, yeah, all right, not guilty. Let's move on. Let's get out of here. It's like he just wants to finish it. He doesn't care either way. Mm. Do you find it interesting? Like, it's hard because I've seen this and obviously you have as well. We know how it's going to end. I feel like this movie, though, like 20 minutes in, the majority of the audience knows how this movie will end. Yeah, it's not about the shock twist of are they actually going to find him not guilty? It's the story along the way of how that's going to happen. You yeah. see, like you said, three at least three of these people are so adamant he is guilty. You're like, okay, how are, they, how are these guys going to get convinced? This is going to be interesting. How are they going to persuade, in particular, these three people, how yeah. it's going to happen? I did like that the judge set it up straight away that uh, they will have no say in sentencing. If he is guilty, it will be the electric chair. And I really think that, helps uh henry fonda uh in his case as well like i'm i'm essentially sentencing a man to death here it's not like he's going to prison like he will die if we can if we convict him of this crime so we definitely need to talk and suss this out Hmm. also interesting that the verdict must be unanimous either way yes you know it's not like to you know send him to the chair you need 12 yeses otherwise he's not guilty you need, regardless of what the verdict is, you need everyone agreeing to it. Otherwise, they redo the entire trial. I think I saw in one of these legal things I saw that in these particular cases where I don't know if it's because it's, you know, death is the sentence or if it's because it's, you know, such a serious crime, like a, it's a murder trial, it has to be 100%. Whereas in something like a civil case, it's uh, it's 51%. Hmm. Well, there you go. So I, I do like that they have all this set up before they go into the room, it gives, and they have the credits here starting. I like that they have the credits happening right now as opposed to right at the start before everything, like what you see in all these you know, old school films like from the 50s and the 40s. I feel like having the credits happen now rather gives you, rather than at the start, it gives you a chance to absorb what has been set up and what you can expect now. It gives you a chance to breathe and go, okay, this is the story. Here's what's going to happen. If you go, if you have the credits at the start, then have the scene where the judge explains and they go straight into them talking like, ah, oh, all right. If, I just feel like that cup, like a minute of giving yourself a chance to absorb the information really sets up well down the track. Yeah, no, that's fair. Did you get a uh, To Kill a Mockingbird vibe when you see, you know, the jury of this guy's peers, uh, 12 white men? No, I haven't seen To Kill a Mockingbird in a really, really long time. So I didn't, I didn't get that vibe, but it, I did look at it and go, okay, 12 angry white men. This is a 50s film for sure. Yeah, and it's not really ever made clear the ethnicity of the the guy on trial, is it? No, it's not. But they hint that he is some uh like he's definitely foreign. I mean, I I sort of when when we start hearing about prejudices throughout the movie, I thought, "Oh, maybe I didn't realize and this guy is black." But I don't think he is. No, I don't think he is. It's interesting because have you seen the the remake? Uh, no. Do you know about the remake? Uh, I want to say James Gandolfini's in it. Is that right? Yeah, ja- James Gandolfini's in it. Jack Lemmon is in it as number eight. Uh, it's directed by William Friedkin as well. Ah, the uh, uh, the guy that did that movie we hated. Sorcerer. Yes. 
He also did the movie that I love, The French Connection. So it kind of balances out. Does it? Not for you, though. <laughs> I actually, I, I started watching a little bit of it. The French Connection? No, the remake of 12 Angry Men. And it's so weird, the changes that are made in that film. Like, for starters, I don't know. I, I you, We talked about the, the young lad at the start of this film. He, the way he looks in this film, that one shot you get of him, he he gives off a little bit of a sympathetic vibe. I feel like he's he's he looks definitely innocent. he looks like yeah, he exactly. Wide eyed, like he doesn't belong there. Yeah, he exactly. Has that I agree. Deer in the headlights look. Now the the guy who plays the accused in the remake, he looks like he's about twenty one, and he's got facial hair, like he's got a goatee and a mustache. And I'm like, oh, must yeah, that guy would have done it. He would have. <laughs> he could have done. He could have done it. He could have done it. And he didn't look innocent. He's just sitting there like, eh, and I'm like, okay. This, that's, that's the first thing straight away. Is, hey. Hey. What is it, LaFonz? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I noticed straight away on the remake because they haven't really got the the essence of the uh, the accused straight away. I don't know. I feel like the, the setting for 12 Angry Men and the dialogue that's used in it doesn't work for a remake set in the early 2000s. It's def- there's definitely talk from people who are in from the 50s, like how they, they, they're – one of them, I'm pretty sure, uh, number during number three – is annoyed that he, you know, people don't call their dad sir and all that now. Oh, is it like verbatim? Oh, yeah, it's like word for word. Oh, I mean, that's silly. They should have at least modernised it. If you're going to redo this film, you've got to bring it forward to a modern audience. Well, I, only, I watched about half of it. It goes for an extra 20 minutes, I believe, and there, Can't there's, be verbatim, there's, then. there's some coarse language in it as well. So they've changed a couple of things, but a lot of it is word for word. Which juror does James Gandolfini play? Is it three? No, no, that's George C. Scott. He plays number three. James Gandolfini plays number six. That's like a nothing juror. That he's the guy who like gets angry at number three for yelling at the old man. He's like the guy who's like who go who's in the the when they go for a bathroom break and he's like, hey, I'm just, I'm just a regular worker. I, I I don't have a say. I have a boss. I listen to him. Okay. Yeah. Not the role I would have picked. He's not Tony Soprano yet. Okay. <laughs> He's a big, scary Italian guy. I mean, you've got to... He doesn't play it like that in this. Well, wasted opportunity. So this massive... Let's get back to this film. So this massive one-shot at the start, which is oh, also great, included as the credits. It? Yeah. yeah, It's so good. The camera positioning, just moving around everyone, giving good focus on several of the jurors, just having idle chit-chat. You get little snippets about the info from the trial, like, and even just little bits about each juror as well, like their mannerisms and... You know who they, not who they are as a person or what they are outside in the outside world, but more so how they're going to react to things that are coming up. One thing I love about this film is how hot it is in this room, and the yeah. progressive sweat and removal of jackets and hats and everything that is going to come. I really enjoyed seeing the mountains of sweat that these guys are pouring out because it shows it shows a lapse of time. And it works so well when you have juror number four, who, when you get that small little piece of info later on, when he's like, I don't sweat. And he's still wearing his suit. He's the only one. He's like, yeah, I don't sweat over anything. And then when he finally buckles under that pressure of not remembering the movie, and you get that sweat that drips down, it just, it sums it up perfect. It was so good. Yeah, it was. I love the authenticity of some of these guys too. Like juror number one, he uses so many ums and ahs when he talks. It really shows that he's just this ordinary bloke. He, like he's really raw at this too. He's, this isn't a regular thing. He's not like a, you know, some sort of legal person. He's just extremely nervous. Yeah, his role as the foreman here is so, 
such a strange position because, as you say, he's he's not qualified to do this. And he's not appointed it either. It's, it's, is it just because he's the first juror? So he's like, well, I guess I should do it. Is he I like a lead juror? He is lead juror. Okay. So maybe that is because he's juror number one. He is in charge. How great is it that the foreman, juror number one, makes everyone sit in their numbered seats? Oh, man. It, I, it was at this point where it I'm like, okay, so I feel like difference. I'm going to have to go get the names of these people if I'm going to do my notes. And then I saw they're actually named Jura 1 to 12. I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. And he's put them in order for me. This is amazing. Yeah. And as long as you remember, you know, the key ones, like 3, 8, pretty much just 3, 8, you can work back at all times yeah. on where everyone sits in relation to those two. My notes, here are just, my notes here are just like, two seems indecisive. Four has more facts. It's like I know exactly who I'm thinking of here now. It's funny because I started referring to them in my notes as like angry juror, nervous juror. And <laughs> the, I, I angry, was, the angry juror. This is I was 12 go- angry men. Yeah, I was going to do like a Snow White and the Seven Dwarves sort of thing. But <laughs> I realized that would be really difficult to talk about with you. So, nah, definitely reverted to their juror numbers, which made life a lot easier. I did like the line after juror number eight you know, calls out not guilty. I believe it was number seven who looks at him and says, Couldn't change my mind if you talk for 100 years. A little bit of foreshadowing there that that is exactly what he's going to do. Not for 100 years. So not exactly. He changes his mind. They're just almost all of them are in a hurry to go. Yeah. Like none of them want to be there. Obviously, obviously with the exception of juror number eight, Henry Fonda, Hmm. none of them really want to do it. Yeah, but I think a couple of them are really because the majority of them are saying guilty. Like like I said before, number two, he's, he seems indecisive. He doesn't have a reason why. He's like, I, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just think he's guilty. They don't have any hard facts at the end of it. I think it's number uh, five and even six. They're just like, yeah, you know, I, don't, I, I just feel like he's guilty. And they once they hear some counterattacks to the defense that they've had, they change their mind. I also started talking about Suave Jura. <laughs> Suave Jura. Is that number four? I, th- I think that's number number 12. Uh, he says it uh, was- the, the advertising guy. The ad man. He said it was interesting for him and there were no real dead spots, if you know what I mean. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, it's, we're so lucky to get a murder case. So, okay. Yeah, I think we said before you could tell who are the people who- uh, so on board with the guilty because when they start going around the table to present their reasoning to try and convince eight, like three and four are the two that start the 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 facts here about the old man heard him downstairs, four butts in with the the kid couldn't remember his story about the movies, and then yeah. ten out of nowhere butts in saying the woman saw the murder from across the street. And these are the these are the big three pieces of evidence right here that are going to yeah. go through the rest of this film. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's roughly about here where. We start to get a lot of this racism and prejudice in this film when I think it's said... You don't believe the boy's story. How come you believe the woman's? She's one of them too, isn't she? Mm, not not a good look from uh, juror number 10. No. Uh, Even his reaction when juror number 8 uh, first votes not guilty, he laughs at him and says, oh, there's always one. It's like, yeah. Jesus. How many trials have you been in? They all go through their little bits of... Uh, Evidence or non-evidence, or if they want to even mention why they think he's guilty, it's about here where we we hear about three and his story about his son, which plays yeah. a big part. And yeah, I, lo- I love, part. I love how in the end it's not even about 
the evidence. It's a it's a humanizing reason why he changes his mind. Yeah, it's emotional. You know, he's not someone who's swayed by facts. He's swayed by his emotions. Yeah. What does he say? He's uh, his son ran away from a fight and he almost like threw up in disgust. He like, threw up what? in disgust. He like. You know, nearly broke him. Um, yeah, trying to gonna make a him man out of him. Something. Yes, oh. and he's like his son ended up punching him in the face, and he hasn't seen him in years. So yeah, that worked out for you, didn't it? Yeah. So obviously, he's holding so much resentment to this kid because he's projecting his own son onto this kid who he wants to punish. Yeah, you see, five gets super defensive here, talking about the word slum and everyone who lives in the slums. You know, is like this and. Obviously, like if this guy lives in the slums too, he's going to take great offense to this. Who said that? Sorry, five. I thought five was the one who says he wants to pass. Yeah, he does pass. But when ten starts bringing up about people living in the slums are all like this, he pops yeah. up. Oh, okay. Yep. Even one gets a bit shitty here. I think it was. I think it's ten tells him um, to you know quiet down and stop trying to act like you're you're in charge and trying to rule everything. He's like, well, fuck you, mate. Well, you yeah. take. Well, you take control. Yeah, I love that he does that. Like you do it, and then yeah. ten's like, nah. You know, don't get so worked up or whatever he says. Uh, and it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, way to back off, mate. But, I mean, this going around the table to most of them, it's good because it lays out basically the prosecution's case and what what key part means the most to a lot of them. Yeah, and exactly. And it does set up for juror number eight to methodically tear all these arguments down. <laughs> tear them all apart. What do, you, what do you think of that acting in this film? Well, so far at least. What do you think of Henry Fonda? I mean, he's yeah, he's really good. I uh, honestly, I mean, he's good. He is. He's really good. Yeah, he's his good. Voice, but he's not- he, his voice and some of his mannerisms re- reminded me of William H Macy in Fargo. Oh, really? The way he spoke. He's like, I'm not saying he's not guilty. I'm saying there could be a chance. I'm like, you sound like. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Wow. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's just. You know, an American accent, isn't it? No, there's different types of American accents. Just saying I'm the sure pitch that, in his voice and the sure way he was- pretty sure they all sound the same, Hendo. <laughs> I don't think they do. But I think here's where we get the, the first piece of evidence where they got to bring in the knife. Ah, yes. The super rare knife that uh, is one of a kind, apparently. Apparently, the boy bought the knife uh, from a pawn shop, claims he lost it. What I, I mean, find interesting- in fairness, this kid's story is so flimsy. Like, you can understand why- all, well, not all, why 11 of these men walked in fully prepared to send him to the chair. And there's the question of, well, if these guys work all this stuff out, how come the bloody lawyers couldn't figure any of this stuff out? And I love how they they address this really, really quickly here. Henry Fonda's like, these are, these are like court-appointed lawyers. The guy who defended him probably didn't even care. He's not even interested in this case. He knows he's going to lose. He just wants to get through it. He's not going to yeah. go do his research. That reveal when eight pulls out the identical knife was great. It was great. Uh, yeah, it was great. There's a lot that eight does here that's great. But I think that him pulling the knife out does show that from an early, uh, you know, an early time he didn't believe there was reasonable doubt. Like the fact that he's doing this research shows a lot. The fact that he's walking in saying to everyone, oh, I'm not, you know, I, I just want to talk about it. That's all. But then he's already holding a knife. Yeah, he's already got this in his back pocket. He, he knows the right time Literally. to pull this out. Yes. I found it interesting where he pulls it out and they, like I think it was four might have mentioned, it's against the law to, to buy or sell blades. He's like, I bought it from a pawn shop. Yeah, that's what happened with the kid. So how, 
How is this pawn shop getting away with selling these blades if it's against the law? I mean, switch blades are illegal, aren't they? So why is this this shop getting away with selling blades over multiple nights? Maybe that would have been the story for 13 Angry Men. The 13th being the store owner, obviously. Well, he's part of the jury now, is he? <laughs> no, he, he's the one on trial and he's angry because like, are we really doing this? <laughs> like, this is never going to be as good as the first one. <laughs> I love how he offers a, not an ultimatum, but a, a, what the hell is the word that he says? Proposition. When he tells them, you guys can all vote again. And if we get one non, if we, if everyone goes guilty, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll join in and we'll, we'll finish it off. But if one person, one person says not guilty, then we'll keep going. And you obviously know what's going to happen. Yeah. Number nine, the guy with the weird head. Yeah, is- I was wrong on that. Because I forgot who did it, so I thought it was going to be either two or five. Okay. I mean, I had absolutely no idea, so I wasn't throwing out random jurors two and five. I threw out two and five because they were the ones who, when they was when they were trying to convince him about if he's guilty or not, he, they didn't even have a reason. Convince me. What's that from? Hamilton. Usual suspects. Sorry, did you say nine had the weird head? Yeah. You don't think he has a weird shaped head? Didn't even didn't even occur to me. Especially really when they the, do the like shapes the, of people's the, heads. The like portrait shot, like the close up of him. He's got these really big eyes, big ears, bald old man. Did you make note of the camera style of this or the shot style of this film? Yes. I've written camera style, colon, frenetic. Frenetic? Wouldn't classify this as frenetic. No one would, Hendo. No one would. Does it need to be frenetic? No, it shouldn't be frenetic. So why are you saying it's frenetic? It was a joke, Hendo. How did that you not get that? That was a terrible joke. I mean, I thought it was in your wheelhouse, that's all. Oh, I'm above that one. Okay, tell me about the camera style that you picked up on. The fact that as the film gets increasingly tense and nervous, the shots get closer and closer. At the start, you've got a lot of wide shots and focusing on a lot of people at once. When it gets towards the end, especially... When you've got eight talking to four about what movie, what movie did you see? What did you do the other night? There's just close, like one, like close-ups of just each person, face, face, face. Everyone is right at each other and it is so claustrophobic and intense. And that's how, that's how it's happened in this film. They're getting like, not so much more nervous, but the tension is building throughout this film and everyone's getting more emotional and having the close-ups of basically just their head on the screen really just shows how involved you are with it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's fair. Thank you. But no, let's get back to the the hot topic at hand, number nine's shaped head. Yeah, let's move on. So we get okay. a rare scene outside of the jury room in the bathroom. And you sort of get eight in there and seven comes in saying he's a marmalade seller. Okay. Very wealthy marmalade seller. All those marmalade sellers back in the fifties, they knew what they were doing. Have yep. you had marmalade? Are you a marmalade person? Oh, I hate marmalade. I tried it, uh, I, I would say, for the first time this year. It's disgusting. Yeah. Don't yeah. it have, like, the, the rinds and shit in it? Yeah, there's some rind. Ugh. Yep. Nah, not, not, good, not my Not my cup of tea. Sorry, Paddington, not my cup of tea. Okay. That's right. Maybe That's I need Paddington to rewatch references. Paddington, yeah. You don't remember the marmalade sandwiches from Paddington? Is that, like, an after credit <laughs> scene? or What? Like a- <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> 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 I like how angry, because you do question whether all these men do get angry at all points. Eight does get angry when he sees three and 12 are playing noughts and crosses. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that piss you off too? You're trying to make a point and they're, they're not even paying attention in the slightest to you. Yeah, but Eight starts arguing. Oh, what's he talking about now? The woman who sees 
actually sees the murder through the L-Train windows. Before you get to that, I just want to go back to the bathroom where it's not seven anymore, it's six that has come in to discuss with him. And he basically, Mike drops that line to him. Supposing you talk us all out of this and uh, kid really did knife his father, huh? And that's really something to think about. Like, in the end- Is it though? In the end, he's convincing them that he's not guilty. doesn't mean he is not guilty. Like, it's just their opinion in the end. Yeah, again, they're not saying- Like, I know that it's, you know, called not guilty, but they're not saying he didn't yeah, do it. Reasonable doubt. It's saying, reasonable doubt. Yeah, they're saying that it's possible that he didn't do it. Yeah, but can you imagine if he convinced them all with all his evidence here that he's not guilty, and then he was guilty, and he goes and does it again? Because it's so much better to let a killer go free than to kill an innocent man. Are you considering what? What if? No, I'm just. I'm. I'm doing the the juror eight here. I'm presenting the other side. What if the killer goes free as a killer and goes and kills multiple more people? Yeah, that's that's the risk you take. Okay. It's not. You cannot kill an innocent man wrongly. It's better to. It's better that a killer does it and has that opportunity to get caught again than a jury sending an innocent man to Very the good. Yep. I like that. like that argument there. I remember watching a movie that tried to prove um, that there was something wrong here and they set up a video where the person, uh, I think they committed suicide, but someone went down for the murder or something. Is this ringing any bells to you? And it no. was revealed at the end that, yeah, there was a, a videotape of something. Anyway, moving on. I think A puts on a convincing argument about the speed of the train going past at the time it takes the body to hit the floor. You were talking before about the 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 woman seeing the incident through the train, but then it's also yeah. coincided with the, the gentleman downstairs hearing it, and it just doesn't add up. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, which is good. But I really like here that it's no longer just Jura 8 defending it here, and you really do get Jura 9 um, standing side by side with him saying... Talking about the the old man and how he walked, what he was wearing, and how insignificant his entire life would be, except yeah. this moment when he actually has a chance to make a difference, whether for positive or negative. And you really feel like he's talking about himself here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's not, in fairness, he's not saying that this old man is a bad person. He's saying that, you know, he has made himself believe that he heard these words and saw his face you know, lying to himself to make himself happy. You th- if you believe it in your own mind, it's the truth to some people. It's not a lie if you believe it. Damn it. What's that? Come on. Costanza. <laughs> you sounded like Morpheus. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to throw you off the scent. <laughs> yeah, all American accents are the same. There's even a little bit of humour here. He's a common, ignorant slob. He don't even speak good English. He doesn't even speak good English. I mean, that was that was all cheap. You got to have a little giggle. Mm. I did like just before that eight sets up the that you know just because he said I'm going to kill you and he happened to die after. Like people say, I'm going to kill you all the time. Yeah, and it he knows what mean he's doing. Anything. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's going to try and get one of them to say it to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's about this point where five changes his vote. Yep. So we're now at three to seven. This is where eleven. No, no, pipes up. no. Three plus seven is ten. <laughs> Sorry, we're at three to nine. Three to nine. Here. Yeah, yeah. This is where eleven jumps in and finally starts uh, bringing his ideas to the table. I thought it was really intriguing how he thought to come back after he stabbed him to get his knife. Yeah, this, leave- this argument was really good. 
And the fact that everyone's saying, but he would have just left in a panic and he would have just left it there. That's why he came back because he felt like he needed to come and get it. It's like, yeah, but he wiped the fingerprints off the knife. Yeah, it's he like, couldn't be. Yeah, that was that was really good. Yeah. That was, that was one awesome. of the better arguments. Yeah, that was really good. But of course, Ten's just having a big old sook here. He really brings, this Ten guy really brings no facts or anything to the table. He's just, he's just a racist asshole. Which yeah. they really, which they really show later on in a crucial scene. And eleven changes his vote because of a new vote. Yes, so we're at four to eight, if my math is correct. <laughs> and like we said, it, it looks like there's there's three guys here who are strictly guilty. Uh, at the, at this point, I thought it's pretty pretty good that three, seven, and ten were all for guilty. Yeah. And we, when you had four, four was pretty locked in, but he he was looking like it's uh in a a more uh, intellectual way, not an emotional yeah, way. he's logical. You feel like you can debate with him logically and come to a yes. logical conclusion, whereas the others just seem ignorantly, you know, steadfast. There's a couple of uh, lines throughout the film where the people realise what they're doing after it's happened. Like, yeah, like when he right picks up the knife and he says, you know, like... <laughs> He was seen. He was seen using this knife to stab his father, and they're like, uh, "That's not the knife." <laughs> yeah, that's that's an awesome one. I think it's even three as well. Who says? How does he know how long fifteen seconds is? You can't judge a thing like that. He said fifteen seconds. He was very positive about uh, it. He was an old man. Half the time he was confused. How could he be positive about anything? And it's the realization. The realization of what he just said. It's like ah, oh, like he's just walked into, it. and you get the little tiny smirk from Henry Fonda. Like yeah, I know. Like you, you know what you said. There's yeah. a couple of times where Jero Eight just gives that little speech, like I, I'm, I'm getting everyone here. My, I'm winning this. We're about at the point where they do the whole big 15 second walk to, you know, out of the bed, up and down the hallway. Yeah, I mean that clear, that clearly wasn't 15 seconds. Well, no, but <laughs> I mean they say it was 41 seconds, and I think it clearly wasn't 41 seconds. It was I actually 31 they, seconds. I wish they'd just said 31 seconds because when they said 41, I thought to myself, "Gee, that did not feel like 40 seconds." Yeah, yeah. This is where super smart Henry Fonda and his uh, his devious little ways come into it, where. Three loses it, and uh, he starts accusing him of being an executioner, a, a sadist. Yeah, and three, yeah, three says he wants to pull the switch. Kill him, Mark! You don't really mean you'll kill me, do you? It's like, yeah, he's he's got to him, and everyone else is around him. He's just like, fuck, yeah, like he's he's it's happening. Like you start to see all these bits of all these these things are just stacking up on each other. Like there's really been no extra argument for the guilty rather than just setting up the things that they mentioned in the court. There's never any like back talk as to why it could just why it could be guilty. Yeah. But they do another revote here and we're now half and half, six to six. Yep. Two and two and six. I like the quote from Ten here. He says he's sick and tired of facts. You can twist them any way you want. It's like, uh exactly. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's right. It's a bit of a bit of a slow down section here this would almost be like an intermission where just you get a couple of scenes of everyone just talking to each other about things basically nothing to do with the case at this point that's what they'd have you believe hendo well what do you think the significance of juror seven turning on the fan and throwing the paper into it and bouncing off uh juror nine's head well i think it's twofold (laughs) (laughs) see you've gone too hard so you couldn't now now you need to think of two things You know, I think you'll find that it's uh, s- symbolic and emblematic, really, of the uh, the force of. No, nah, I, I don't know. I don't know. The fa- the the paper is symbolising everyone's attempts to uh, say he's guilty, 
and the fan is Henry Fonda bouncing off their arguments like uh, nothing. Yes. And juror and nine getting hit in the head is uh, the juror the number three. That, <laughs> the effect that juror number eight has, you know, immediately on number nine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's starting to rain here. That definitely adds to the tension as this film goes on because it gets louder and louder and harder and harder as it goes on here. But we're pretty much at the next piece of evidence, the the movies. Couldn't remember the film that he just went and saw. Yeah, and it's it's number four who struggles with this. Yes, the back and forth between eight and four here is is great. Four is four is easily the extreme guilty who can have a rational conversation, like we said. And you see him gradually forget where he himself has been. And you finish off, like I said, with that bead of sweat dripping down his head. Considering that was such a simple little throwaway line earlier on, I, I thought that came back fantastic. Yeah, but I do, I do think it is a bit different, though. Like, you're asking someone, you know, like, number eight's just going back day by day until there's something he doesn't remember. He goes back, what, four days? Asking yeah, about details about day, the film. Un- and, then until- he said, and then he tells him, now imagine, and you're not even under any stress. He's, he's talking about a guy who's just come home and found his dad dead on the floor, who... You know, as far as we're to learn, he didn't do it. And he's got cops asking him all these questions about where he's been. And he's like basically got his dead dad on the floor in the next room. Like, of course, you're going to forget all this sort of shit. Yeah. But now we get the discussion about the actual angle of the knife stab wound, whether it should have come from up or down. And they're saying that the kid is not tall enough. This was a great reveal when it turns out that you would never open the switchblade and then grab it in a way, like to, like stop and position your hand in a way that it would come down in a stabbing motion, how the blade flicks out and it would just be instant stab up. I know, this was probably my least favourite counter-argument. I don't think it's that hard to quickly switch positions. Why are you going to... But honestly, I, I've never used, never used a switchblade and I doubt you have either. But if you're Thanks holding the knife... that. If you're holding the knife and the blade comes out, are you going to stop, get your other hand and flip it around to stab them right in front of you? Or are you going to flip this, flip the blade I'm out so- and just boom and just move I'm it ahead? I'm sorry, but you can change knife like grip one-handed by flicking it in your hand. <laughs> are you that much of an expert? You're going to open the blade and give it a little and put it into your, like chuck it up in the air and grab it for a, for a stab down. That's not I mean, how switch blades work. Did you not watch the movie? We've already established... You know, he's from the slums. He knows his way around a knife. All right, juror number th- 10. I don't think they're giving him enough credit. <laughs> you think he's some ninja switchblade expert? Frankly, I'm disappointed these men folded so easily. Look at you. You are you definitely juror, on, honestly, juror number yeah. 13. Jokes aside, do you reckon honestly anyone comes away from this thinking they've made the wrong decision? Given no. what we've seen only in this film alone. How good would it have been right at the end where they're all walking out and then juror number eight's like, oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Holy shit, he did it. <laughs> or if you just see in the background this kid, like, stab someone. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> no, he stabs eight. Boom. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's, that is definitely a Kobayashi ending right there. <laughs> But now we get seven unexpectedly changing their vote. And he gets questioned and he's like, ah, cause. Yeah, because he's and a dickhead. I like, I like that Eleven gets angry here and says, no, we need a reason. He, ne- he never- Which I it. agree. I agree. Like, yeah. you, you can't just be like, all right, I don't care, I'm changing. Like, you've got to- You've got to care about this more. But you see that he hasn't cared from the get-go. He just wants to go to his baseball game. He's had no side in the matter. And no, he really gets he really gets laid out for it. 
Yeah, another revote, and there's now only three remaining guilty. Yeah, it looks like, what is it, 12 and 1 changed their vote. I did see in some of this trivia here that Jura 1, the foreman, is the only one who, well, apparently he never explains why he considers the defendant guilty and then later not guilty, even though seven. I mean, he has he explains why he's done it because he's just, he's just going with it, but there's never a valid reason. There's a very interesting psychological metaphor on the meta level of this film and uh, in particular for the foreman Jura 1 character. He leads and is not asked why he does what he does and how he does it. One simply assumes that he knows what he's doing. And later on, when he changes his mind, he still doesn't explain his decision, although from then on, he does not lead anymore, but he just follows. And this is expressed via his facial expressions when he raises his hand to say that he finds him not guilty. He's really just not in control anymore. Hmm. It is interesting. And this is where we get 10 just being the fucking worst. This scene where it just pulls back and he just goes on his rant and everyone yeah. just one by one They're gets up. They're violent by nature. That's a rough yeah. line. Yes. And everyone just turns their back on him. Even the people who are on the guilty side just don't want to hear it. Yeah. And I love how Four is just still sitting there. I'll, yeah, I love the the actual, the camera is pulled back at this point and you see everyone has walked away from the table. Even Jura yeah. number three has walked away from the table and is facing outwards. The only yeah. one who's still sitting at the table with him is Four. He's still got his jacket on and he's he's listening. <laughs> yeah, because he's the intellectual one who will have a conversation. And his line is awesome. He's like, listen to me. Listen to me. I have. Now sit down and don't open your mouth again. And this is where we have, I think it's three and four basically give their reasons as to why they haven't changed their vote. Four basically lays it out like there's, you know, all the other evidence doesn't mean anything. The, the, the woman saw... It happened. He saw. She saw the murderer. She saw the boy, and that's that's it. I can't get past that. And then, of course, you get twelve. He's like, "Yeah, I'll change my mind. I'll change my mind. That's right. I'll go back." I was. I was. I didn't know whether or not anyone actually went back and changed their vote. Yeah, that happens. Here. I didn't. I didn't expect this. It was good, but we get this long uh, sort of story now about wearing glasses and whether or not the old woman had the two indentations on her nose, and Do whether you have or not the two indentations on your nose. I mean, I don't wear glasses that had that have those two grips oh, yeah. any, okay. anymore. I used to, Ooh. and you absolutely get the indentations. Yeah. Um, the glasses I buy now don't have the indentations, so I would never, ever buy a pair of glasses with those uh, grips Do they actually again. give you like those little headaches where you have to like rub your nose and shit? Yeah, they grip your nose. Ugh. They're I feel very like I had that on some of like my old like old sunglasses. I had like different styles, and yeah, I think I remember when I wore those, they were a nightmare. Yeah, but they look cool though, didn't they? <laughs> Not cool enough to have me rub my nose in pain all the time. There's one thing I didn't notice throughout this film that I saw through the trivia is the way the camera is positioned on certain people. In particular, Jura Eight at the start of the film when you know he's he's not meek, but he's still defensive and he's still trying to convince people. The camera. Well, blessed are the meek, Hendo. The camera is shot at either like an eye level or above him. So he's not as grandiose as he should be. And when it gets to the point where he is taking control and he is presenting, you know, all the good facts and starting to convince people, the camera is lower than him. It's looking up at him like he is the powerhouse now. He is in control. I feel that's a like a fantastic way of showing him. Hmm. Smart. Well, that's a smart film, Hendo. But four is convinced. Yeah, I love it how he's just so matter-of-fact about it. He's like, yep, yeah, I'm convinced, yep. not guilty. And 12 changes back. <laughs> yep, and even 10 changes his vote. 
Yeah, I, I must say I didn't like uh, how Ten changed his vote here. It's almost like he was openly prejudiced to everyone. But honestly, in the 50s, was that that uncommon? That was so, you know, full of stigma that he would change his vote once because he'd people been just found turned their back out. On him. Once he'd been found out to be a racist. Like, I, I feel like... I, I didn't believe he would change his vote when he did. I wasn't as on a board with I that. Think, I think uh, out of everyone, of yeah, I think out of everyone, he's is the least convincing for that character. Yeah. And three goes on his monologue. He's the last one left here. And you know th- there is a reason why we heard at the start about the troubled relationship with his son, his breakdown, and his reasoning for why he stuck to his guns. Like you never, you never hear it outright. But you know exactly why through right here with like, I think it's like three quick shots of the photo that falls out of his wallet. It's really the only time that the outside forces, like the 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 human nature of any of these characters comes into play. He feels like his son has abandoned him and he imprints that onto the accused. And when he finally relinquishes that and he changes it to not guilty and Lee J. Cobb here is in his complete breakdown here. Like it's an it's a great acting performance by him. And this whole scene here is that is why it is my Excellent! Now considering this is virtually the last scene of the movie, this is also my Excellent! Kind of figured that. Very weak excellent though. Yeah, I mean there's this is one of those films where there is no like massive standout scene like we've seen in other films. No. Not at all. And honestly, I considered not having an excellent, but I thought that might uh, be viewed- Kind of breaking the rules there. Might be viewed negatively on the film, which is not what I- It's not like, oh, the movie's so bad, there's no good scene. It's just, it's it's, so consistent. Yeah, just because the excellent isn't a massive standout, it doesn't mean- it's a bad film because there's the the movie itself is ge- like it overall is generally like very tip top. Yeah, and that's it. They've all said not guilty. I like how th- uh, eight goes over and helps three with his coat. It's like there's no hard like, feelings. Ma- there's no yeah. There's no hard feelings. Like these guys don't even know each other's names. They're just they're just doing their part and. You know, there's no animosity there. You kind of feel bad for him, though. Like, he's carried this picture around of his son in his wallet for years, and now he's torn it up. And it occurred to me, it's not like now where we have digital copies of everything. Yeah. Like, that photo's gone. Like he can call his son up. Yeah. I mean, he could. Well, yeah, hopefully he does. That's not really related to the point I was making at all about photography and how the digital yeah, yeah, world yeah. has changed the times. But, yeah. He, he could still have the film. Yeah. I mean, we all have the film. What do you think of them uh, giving each other their names at the end here? Kind of feel like uh, when in Reservoir Dogs they tell each other their names. Sort of breaking the rules a bit. Yeah, so just kept it. What's your name? Eight. I told you, and just walks off. Ball. Boss move. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's it. They all leave. That is the end of Twelve Angry Men. Any last words? All right, Dean. What's your final thoughts on Twelve Angry Men? It's hard for me to judge this film. I think because of. The weight of expectations and this film being so high on the IMDb list and seemingly universally loved by all. Uh, I think this film is very good. I think the performances are very good. I think the story is clever. I think the script is very sharp. Probably my favourite thing about this film is the script. But it's not a super enjoyable film, and it's not one that is very rewatchable either. And because you know what's happening, even on a first-time viewing, but especially on a third or fourth, which is where I'm at now, there's not a lot of excitement there for me. Um, I still really, really like it, 
but I'm going to give it a three and a half. All righty-o. What about you, Sheepy Sheeperson? Sheepy Sheeperson. I think we've been pretty uh, pretty level here throughout this whole thing talking about this film. Oh, prove now, me wrong. Boom, five stars. <laughs> I am about to prove you wrong here. <laughs> One star. Black and white. <laughs> did not like. <laughs> Less than 100 minutes. Pass. <laughs> no, look. Uh, I think this is a fantastic film. He's up there, it's big so fella. S- it's so simple in its nature. It's It comes from a stage play. It's, it's so heavily, natured in its simplicity. It's so heavily involved in just its acting and its dialogue. That's really all this film needs, and it does it so well. What about camera work? The, the, I was about what to about say lighting? the style and the direction of Sidney LeMay and how he positions this camera and how it evolves over the film to coincide with the emotions and the tension that is happening throughout this film works wonders. You say that you know the you know how this film's going to end. It's like yeah, that's it's obvious how it's going to end, right? It's the journey how it gets there. It's how Jura Eight manages to use you know his thoughts and opinions and facts to complete like to one by one break this jury down to convince them of the supposed right answer. And I think it works brilliantly. Each individual juror has their own unique abilities and their own unique personalities that they can tell each other apart. You don't need names for these people. They've got their numbers and you know who they are. You can tell who number three is. You can tell who number seven is. You can tell who they all are based off this hour and a half of these guys just talking about a, a court case trial. I feel like this film is is fantastic, but this is not one of these films that I have grown up and loved. I haven't seen many, many times. This is the second time I've watched this film. And don't get me wrong, I, I find it astounding that this film has been brought to this level of number five on the IMDb Top 250. I don't see that. I see it as a well-regarded, highly entertaining film. It doesn't need to have frenetic movement like you said earlier. It's simple. It is great in that nature. It's not five stars. It's four and a half for me. <laughs> May as well be five. God, I thought you were you actually going to have because your it's four own and a half. take on it. You're saying because it's four and a half, it may as well be five. Oh, it's four stars. It may as well be four and a half. Then it may as well be five. Are you saying there's no distinguish between four and a half stars and five? You were making out like, oh, no, I think you'll be surprised. I haven't raved about it. You know, it's it's not going to be haven't. up there. Do you give it, you go back still and give look- it, you still give it four and a half stars. Yeah, because it's a great film. It's just not a fi- it's not an amazing film that I revere. Okay. No, it's it's my fault for forgetting how generous you are with your ratings. It's my fault for you under-repping this film as a generic three-and-a-half-star film. Oh, you know what's going to happen by, at the start of this film, how it's going to end. Who fucking cares? You know it'd be of good to, look, end that way. to look at some other films I've given three-and-a-half stars to. <laughs> well, we're going to find out now, aren't we? I was the best because the crowd loved me. Where is this going to sit within your other three-and-a-half-star films? Didn't I give that Jane Doe movie three-and-a-half <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> Autopsy of Jane Doe, better than 12 Angry Men. Take that. <laughs> Holy shit, did you give Hutchie three and a half? Oh, this is going to be three? a good conversation. <laughs> Holy shit. All right, let's start at the bottom of my three and a half star film. So, How's Moving Castle recent breakdown. Uh, I do think this is better than How's Moving Castle. Next, it comes up against Holy Grail. Yeah, it's better than that. Next, Wild Tales, then Paths of Glory. It's better than both of them. Next is Hachi. Here's where it gets... <laughs> and here's where it gets tough, Endo. <laughs> it's not... <nice. laughs> no, 
I do think... See, see, 12 Angry Men didn't have a dying dog in it. I think uh, 12 Angry Men is better than that. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which we mentioned earlier. I like 12 Angry Men more than It's a Wonderful Life. Then it comes up to Alien, and that's where it's going to stop. So, 12 Angry Men will be my new number 49 out of 68. Is that right? Is next week going to be our 69th breakdown? Only you would think of that. Ooh, I might have to reassess what I what I would pick. Yeah, theme it for number sixty nine. All right, let's uh, go to me. Let's kick it off with. I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off at number thirty eight with "It's a Wonderful Life." Uh, I think this is better than that. Uh, it's gonna pass over Casino as well as well as Stand by Me. You go up to Alien here. I think this is better than Alien. I also think it's better than The Shining. And I also think it's better than The Love of Your Life, Hamilton. And we get up to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I think this is better than that too. It's also going to pass Donnie Darko as well. And we're up to Aliens at this point. I think 12 Angry Men is better than Aliens. And then we're up to Unforgiven. And that's where it's going to stop. So I am putting 12 Angry Men as my new number 30. Very good. Hey, listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there, and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and, of course, Podbean. We're very thankful to Podbean for taking on our podcast. Yeah. Definitely. It's a great hosting site with a great app to go with it. Yeah, what I like about Podbean's app is you can actually comment on the episode you're listening to and it goes straight to us and we can reply back immediately. We've also opened up a new little merch store over on Public. We've got uh, a couple of t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and all that good stuff for sale. So if you're at all interested in getting a little bit of Movie Journey sweet, sweet merch, head on over there and see if anything tickles your fancy. Amazing! And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do so over on Twitter. Endo controls our main handle at the Movie Journey and I am at Dean's 250 Journey. You can also check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the movie journey. Our letterbox pages where we keep our film diaries up to date. I am at letterboxd.com slash Dino underscore J88. Really rolls off the tongue. And you can find Hendo at letterbox.com slash Hendo. And we also have a new Facebook discussion group. Yeah, a little listener community going on over there. Yeah, head on over, join up. We'd love for you to be a part of the discussion. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. And like we've said, if you screenshot your review and DM us, we'll send you out some new sweet, sweet merch. Or if you're really loving the show and want more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, we've got over 70 episodes over there, including such classic film series like the Die Hard series, X-Men series, Mission Impossible series, as well as some notable film directors such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's right. There's also tons of benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put out on the regular. Yeah, exactly. You can even shape the show the way you want to by telling us what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate? Well, Dean, we are up to episode 100 of our Patreon. So it's been a whirlwind so far, 100 episodes. 
So we're going to celebrate and style here by giving out a new piece of sweet, sweet merch to our awesome patrons. One of our awesome patrons is going to win a nice Movie Journey t-shirt. We're going to do a nice big spin the wheel and see who's going to be taking that down. And at the same time, we're also going to be doing our fourth Q&A where all of our patrons are going to drop in a whole bunch of questions they want answered. It's going to be a ball of fun, isn't it, Dean? It most certainly will be. But before we uh, get to whatever we're doing next, I just want to give a big shout out to our latest patron, Kimberly Nance. Thanks so much for your support there, Kimberly. Perfect time to join the patronage, considering we're coming up to the episode 100. Give Mike give her a chance to win a Movie Journey t-shirt. Isn't that right, Dean? Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, mate, it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh... And looking over on our Patreon, we've got one from our awesome patron, Jacob Bennett. This is an all-time favourite film of mine. In my top 10, the acting is brilliant, with the direction being tight and measured with each shot. The dialogue is excellent, and these characters exist in today's world too, for better or for worse. A great movie that looks at the justice system with an element of character usually uncommon for a courtroom drama. An all-time classic and one of my favourites. Thank you very much for that one, mate. But, of course, we've got... I saw 12 Angry Men for the first time in 2018. I was giving a watch of all the courtroom dramas I could think of, and this stood out as a critically acclaimed one I hadn't seen. In fact, I don't have to say it, but this is ranked at number 5 of all time on IMDb. I don't get the rating at all. In fact, I barely heard of this movie before I watched it. It was never recommended to me by anyone. I never saw it on TV. I think when I first saw it a couple of years ago, I sort of thought, okay, Here's an old movie that still holds up, and it does hold up, so that's why it has a claim. But looking at the year and other movies that came out before it, the movie doesn't seem that old. Rear Window, Dial M for Murder, Seven Samurai, and of course Rope, which came out nine years prior. Rope actually feels like the newer film, given that it was in colour. How's that for holding up? Anyway, what did I think of this movie outside of the acclaim? It's good. (laughs) We're halfway, how long have we been? Now we're going to get to the, the actual film. <laughs> it's good. Henry Fonda is clearly the standout, although most of the actors give captivating performances. I like how, when describing the crime, there's no need for flashbacks, and it all takes place in your mind. It's clever in that way. But on a negative note, the film gets a bit boring in places. The conversation goes on and on and round in circles sometimes. At the end, I'm not sure there's any deeper meaning other than the gimmick of seeing a jury's deliberation play out. So I've seen the movie twice now, and it really could have just been once. Or not at all. I really don't see anything special about it. Three stars. Ah, Shane. Righto. Thank you very much for that one, Shane. Thanks for that original take, Shane. It's uh, definitely refreshing on the podcast. What a classic Shane review. We get that all the time. All right, Dean, we've done a couple of polls over the last couple of weeks on Twitter as to which films deserve to be in the top 250 films of all time. Let's start off with Inception. What do you think about Inception? Uh, I would say yes. Yeah, 60% say yes. And then we go to My Neighbor Totoro. I'm not going to ask you what you think, considering the uh, the info is right in front of you there. But 70% say no. Thoughts about that one now that you, uh, that you see it? Uh, makes sense? Se- se- yeah, it makes sense. Sure. Unforgiven is next. 58% say yes. Yeah, I uh, I understand that. And train spotting. 63% say no. Yeah, it's not, not for everyone, train spotting. So I can see that as well. Yeah, fair enough. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The 
Sebastian, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite film set predominantly in one single location? Now, let's start off over on our Twitter. First one here from the In Their Own League podcast, The Guilty. It's so tense and has such amazing audio to bring the unseen world on the other end of the phone to life. LJ Human says The Hateful Eight. Carol Fenton says Rope. David Powell says Just how single location do you want to get buried? Here's one from Murph. My Dinner with Andre. Have you seen that? No. I haven't either. Oko and Orts' Disney podcast says Dog Day Afternoon was such a solid movie. Here's one from our awesome patron, Amy Smith, says 12 Angry Men. The Amazing Nerd Show says Dawn of the Dead. Here's one from Raj S. Sleuth springs to mind. I have not seen Sleuth. Kathy B. says I have two, either The Breakfast Club or Clue. Ah, a little Clue shout out there. You happy with that one, Dean? Of course. I'm happy with this one. Fan Men Podcast says Clerks. Jeffrey Kerr says Rear Window. Matt Neglier of the Next Best Picture Podcast goes with Locke. Have you seen Locke? Yes. I have too. Not bad. Not bad. Carlo says conspiracy. I haven't heard of it. Uh, no, I don't think I've heard of it either. Cinema Steve quotes ABC, always be closing. For Glengarry Glen Ross. Qui-Gon Glynn says die hard. Fonzie Lopez says probably Evil Dead 2. That's not bad. I don't mind that pick. Hmm. Lastly here on Twitter from Ronnie Casol, Alien. All right, let's take a look over on our Facebook page. Sam Hurley from the Move Reviews and 20 Qs got a little bit uh, feisty here and decided to name off his top five, but no, we're only looking for one, Sam. Calm down. And his number one was 12 Angry Men. Billy Dunham says Clerks. And lastly on Facebook from Wojciech Witzeman, Cube. All right, looking at our Patreon here from Chris Beardsell, Reservoir Dogs. Brother Shane goes with Saw. Jacob Bennett says 12 Angry Men. Heifer has gone with The Hateful Eight. And lastly from Paul at the Countdown Podcast, The Thing. All right, so we've got our Facebook listener community and our patrons all pick their top one. Let's see if any of those match either of our top ones when we get to our top five films set in a predominantly single location. And as usual, your first, Dean, what is your number five? My number five is The Hateful Eight. Fair enough. My number five is Saw. Nice. My number four is Clue. Nice little clue action there. I thought it might pop up. My number four is Ex Machina. Ah, my number three is Ex Machina. Ah, nice. My number three is Reservoir Dogs. My number two is Saw. Fair enough. My number two is Clerks. And my number one is Die Hard. As is also my number one as well. So, looking at the Facebook listener community and our patrons, no one picked Die Hard as their number one. So, no competition winner this week, unfortunately. Better luck next time, guys. Yeah, unlucky, guys. There's this tournament. Let the tournament! out the results of the first four matches in the first round of our seeded finals of our tournament of champions now let's have a look at the results here we have the empire strikes back still maintaining its winning streak here with a 56 percent victory over psycho pulp fiction against the dark knight and it's pulp fiction with the win 58 percent all right the next two here are our elimination matches now whichever two films lose these ones are out and we have inception versus casablanca and Inception takes it down with a 57% win. And lastly here, 12 Angry Men against Star Wars. And 12 Angry Men wins 57%. All right, so Casablanca and Star Wars A New Hope are out. And looking at next week's rounds, we have Psycho against Inception and 12 Angry Men against The Dark Knight. Now, Empire Strikes Back and Pulp Fiction have won their initial round, so they are into the final four. And the other two winners of these two rounds coming up will battle them. 
Now, our tipping at the moment. There was only one person who got all four right, and that just so happened to be yours rigged. truly. Bang, smashing it. Not rigged at all. The, the, the picks were all sent around to each other, so we know who picked what prior to the tips happening. So just uh, throwing it out there. Uh, unstoppable. When did you go out? Like uh, like round five? Like I went three out mo- with three months Grace ago? And, stopped <laughs> try- and stopped trying to win my own competition. Stop trying to win. You know you got your tips in before the thing even began. What are you, what are you going to do if you win? <laughs> Lord it over everyone. You're an idiot. <laughs> so... What's next? All right, Dean. Have you made up your mind? Do you know what you're doing? I have. I've made up my mind. All right. Let's hear it. Okay. I am going with, let's see if you can guess the movie, number 238. Wow. No, those those movies keep moving around so much down there, I, I don't know. In honor of our glorious 69th episode, I am picking the hopefully incredibly racy In the Mood for Love. Ooh, I've not seen that film. Me neither. Oh, interesting. And it's Asian. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go for The Handmaiden. That that may have been a more obvious pick <laughs> had I seen it. <laughs> Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Nah. God damn you, Dean. You can't even get it right. Well, I was in the mood, so this one spoke to me. Righto. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Now, next week, we did uh, we did take a week off, so we're just a little bit weirded out on our schedule here. But next week is Pod v Pod 41. We're going to have another great guest on for another battle. It's also going to be our August monthly film catch-up. Got a lot of films to talk about that we've watched over the last month. Seen any interesting ones, Dean, that you're keen to talk about? Well, I, I think I've seen most of the garbage you gave me, so I'm looking forward to giving you something equally wow. shit next weekendo for you to watch. Wow, 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 wow. Well, I'm just very happy that we managed to do a, an AFL bet recently, which I won, so I've also got a <laughs> film to pick for you too. So, yeah, you're not getting away with it that easy. No, that's that's not fair. The, oh, what, what is this? The goal line technology it was not there <laughs> in this random-ass game played in the middle of Australia in Alice Springs. Clearly, so salty. a goal was allowed that should have been a point, and it should have meant that the Saints beat the Ds. It didn't happen, though. I think... We'll call it a draw. No, I'm not going to call it anything. Saints should have won. But they didn't. And I'm going I'm to get you a movie for that. But that's all for next week. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out the episode. And we will see you next week for Pod v Pod 41. Bye. Bye.